podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Double Century on the 99.94 Podcast Network. When Michael Clark made his 100, there was no special gesture for Phil Hughes. It was because he could barely lift his back. Clark was overcoming a back injury, hamstring injury, and I suppose a heart injury. And his innings was full of sort of determination that the Australian public had once accused him of not having. He actually became the first Australian batter to make 100 after being retired hurt. And probably also the first to give a eulogy of a teammate right before making a Test 100. There were so many things to applaud at the Adelaide Oval. There were also things outside the Adelaide Oval that people were still applauding at, like a Shield game. Because Ed Cowan made two emotional hundreds in Hobart, both for him and for his team Tasmania, and I suppose his mate Phil. The SCG had something even more remarkable. There is no way that any of us can ever work out what Sean Abbott has to go through, the man who delivered the bouncer that killed his former teammate. And Hughes was now everywhere, on every TV, newspaper, magazine, radio show and website in Australia. There is no way that Abbott could have lived his normal existence without seeing the face of his friend all the time. I mean, even Elton John gave a shout out to Hughes and Abbott during his set. This was a huge thing to have happen to a 22-year-old person. Other players who didn't even deliver that ball had to miss their shield games as they were too upset. But Abbott played. And maybe he just had to. The one thing that you learn when you go through grief in your life is it doesn't come with a strict set of guidelines. You just have to get through it. And Abbott bowled his way through his. As we mentioned in a previous episode, in his first over back, he bowled a bouncer. And later he took wickets. And everyone was very pleased for him that in some ways his life was becoming a little bit more normal. But they were also just pleased for cricket. But that was nothing compared to what happened in the second innings of that game against Queensland. A magical collection of six deliveries. A short wide one, a couple that kept low, a ripper outside off, a quick Yorker, and then an absolute brute. It jumped up into the glove of the batter as it was moving into a defensive position towards the throat. And the ball, of course, ended up in Slip's hand. Every single delivery seemed like a gift from cricket. Of course, unless you were the batter who was facing them. When Abbott's figures hit the big screen at Adelaide Oval, 6 for 14, the crowd applauded. So did Warner. It felt in that one moment that bounces were okay, hits were okay, Abbott was okay, and cricket was okay. That the whole thing was nice. The whole situation around Adelaide was just nice. Everyone was just enjoying what this was, even if it was a memorial for Phil Hughes. And for the many Indian reporters and fans, and even players out on the field, this was the Australian team who had spent years, decades really, bullying and sledging their players. And they were now watching them openly weep, caring for the opposition's safety, and stopping to celebrate a mate who wasn't even there. It was such a bizarre moment in Test Match Cricket in Australia, but even more so in modern India-Australian rivalries. There's almost nothing that happens between India and Australia in a test match now that doesn't end up in a huge incident. Steve Smith touches a part of the pitch where it doesn't even matter at all, and it's huge. The Indian team complain about the food or the hotels that they have to stay in. Everyone talks about it. Brain fades. The bastard monkey gate series. Political tensions. Business tensions. It's an incredible rivalry and perhaps the first truly great cricket rivalry we've ever had where England wasn't a huge part of it. India-England is nowhere near as big as Australia-India. And so you could understand why Indian people were just so amazed by this Australia that they had never seen before. 
playing so soft and open and raw. But that amnesty of sort lasted about 10 sessions. Welcome to Double Century, a podcast on the history of cricket. This season is about the Adelaide Oval Test after the death of Phil Hughes. This episode covers the end of the match and Virat's second hundred. During the second session of the fourth day, the birthday balloon outside the Adelaide Oval for Phil Hughes finally hit the ground. I suppose in a perfect world, it might have floated there forever. On the field, Coley brought the cricket back down to earth. His decision to send off Chris Rogers was aggressive, unfriendly, and kind of bizarre. Australia was setting up a total. They were well in front. And it's Chris Rogers, hardly the most aggressive player in Australian history. In terms of Australian cricketers, it's more like sending off your uncle in a backyard game. Why would you walk besides Rogers doing an angry chicken dance send-off is anyone's guess. By contrast, what Voran Aaron did afterwards was pretty tame. He yelled, come on, in the general direction of David Warner. Some thought that Coley might have done the same thing. But if both players started it, Warner took it to a whole new level. When the no ball was brought to his attention, he didn't just walk back to the striker's end. He went to the non-striker's end to shout, come on, at Aaron three times. He then aggressively left the next ball and then did it again. It was in no way like the man who cried onto his captain's shoulder on day one. This was now just a test, and it was quite a battle. Later, Warner and Coley ended up next to each other as Smith and Rohit Sharma were also involved. It was getting ugly. It was getting aggressive. It was much more like India-Australian cricket that we are all used to. The two teams weren't playing a memorial game in Hughes' honour. They were playing a test. Tough, ugly, and not always right. And then on day five, it just all ratcheted up. The pressure of this game, perhaps the emotional standpoint of some of the Australian cricketers and maybe even some of the non-Coley Indian cricketers, but it became such an incredible contest. Nathan Lyon would appeal almost every third ball like the only thing that could save his life was a wicket. He was more of a throbbing vein than a human by the end. Every over, he produced a better ball than the last and a louder appeal. At this point, Lyon's career was remarkably similar to what had happened to Hughes. He had been praised probably well beyond what he should have been, and then when he didn't quite live up to that, he became a pariah. Big at the beginning and mocked and overlooked later on. Hughes was actually compared to Bradman early on in his career, and Lyon was unfortunately one of the men to follow Warren and also maybe be the best one of them. He would then be dropped for random spinners who struggled to take 12 wickets in an entire season, and he was even dropped after his previous best performance. And he was coming off a series where the fans had given up on him. In this particular game at Adelaide Oval, it was a pitch that certainly suits him, but also the Indian players a little bit more, and they were at that time the best players of spin in the world. In the first innings, they attacked him, and he was probably a little bit lucky. But in the second innings, he conquered his last day demons, and he bowled brilliantly. But unfortunately, he couldn't get any of the decisions. And if Lyon couldn't get any wickets, sadly his captain couldn't help him at all. Clark's body finally gave up completely. He was taken off to hospital. And so this test match only had one captain left, Virat Kohli. And when you were watching India bat, they also only had Virat Kohli batting. They were chasing 364 to win. And at one stage, they were 242 for two. But when Murali Vijay was bowled by Lyon for 99, it was Virat Kohli and um, really no one else. He was dogmatic and dominant. He was kind of 
floating above the crease like a supernatural being at some times. It would be an understatement just to call it batting. It was an incredible knock. A year prior, Mitchell Johnson had broken an entire team here. And in the space of two balls, Coley had smashed him, smiled at him, and then laughed at him when he bowled it wide. There are some innings that just look like they can't be ended. Coley looked like he refused to believe that India would not win this game. And when you bat like this, and when you lead like this, and when you believe in yourself like this, it should end with you being carried on the shoulders of your teammates victorious. Coley should have been brought down by the ball of the century, or the world's best ever run out, and maybe a catch of pure athleticism, or something fitting of his innings, the class, the grit, the specialness of it. Instead, it was taken by a short ball. In fact, very short. It was such a poor ball that had it not gone a wicket, Lyon would have been disgusted with his effort. It really should have been heaved into the Mark Rusciuto stand. Instead, this ball clanged against Coley's bat like a shopping trolley hitting a car. It floated out accidentally towards Mitch Marsh, and it should have been taken quite easily, but of course it wasn't. Marsh went the wrong way, then his hands went the wrong way, and in the end he fell to the ground like a toppled animal and caught it like it was his first ever catch. Coley bent over at the waist. He couldn't actually leave the crease. He clutched at the blade of his bat. In both innings, he had been the king of the crease. And now he was trapped there by his own disappointment. Weirdly enough, his grief was like no one else's in this entire test. It was purely for the win. Not for a friend, not for a cricketer, but purely because he wanted to win this test match and he was now bereft that he was not going to be able to do that. He had taken his side within what was going to be an incredible away win in what was going to be one of the most remembered tests. And then he made one mistake, and he was utterly devastated. But the thing is, for the first time in a few weeks, the devastation was of the right kind. It was a captain losing the match by playing a poor shot. A cricket tragedy, not a tragedy about cricket. With a 48-run lead, Australia had a lead of 48 runs when they took the last wicket. Brent Haddon ran manically across the field and the team ended up next to the 408 that had been painted onto the turf. There had been many tributes that had obviously been thought about by the players involved. This one seemed almost more accidental, unplanned, but heartfelt and a perfect cricket moment. After Stumps, a random cover band played out the back of the members, and one of the songs they played was Throw Your Arms Around Me by Hunters and Collectors. The noise of that music floated out over the empty Adelaide Oval. Chances are you've never heard that song. But let me just read you a couple of the lyrics. I will squeeze the life out of you. You will make me laugh and make me cry. We will never forget it. You will make me call your name and I'll shout it to the blue summer sky. We may never meet again. So shed your skin and let's get started. And you will throw your arms around me. At the post-match press conference, Michael Clark said there's a chance he might never play again. Virat Kohli said that he was getting to terms about how life goes on every single day. When you look at the history of cricket, the one thing you notice is it has overcome everything that humankind has thrown at it. When Phil Hughes died, it was one of the first times that cricket had been the villain and not the hero. And it couldn't bring Hughes back. But in Adelaide Oval, it healed itself. It was just another test match. But in many ways, it was the perfect test. And as our sport often does, it dug in and it got through to T. Double Century is a podcast on the 99.94 network. You can download our app via the show notes or look for us on social media to see all the podcasts and audio we produce. If you prefer your podcast ad-free, 
You can support us on Patreon to get that version. You can find the link in the show notes. Double Century on 99.94 is a podcast narrated, produced, and co-written by me, Jared Kimber. Abhishek Mukherjee is the main writer, and Nick McCorriston edits, mixes, and co-produces the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.